Good morning. It's good to be in church. Amen. Miss you guys. Love you guys. Miss you more than Pastor Ross missed you. (laughs) Just kidding. Oh, I got to say, I worked here from 2009 to 2016, and this was the best seven years of my life. I am being absolutely honest. I have nothing but fond and warm memories of this fellowship, being under Pastor Ross's leadership and all the pastoral staff, uh, being surrounded by all of you guys. Oh my goodness, just the best seven years of my life. And so when I got the invitation from Pastor Ross and from his pastoral team, I was just, I was, I was really looking forward to this time. And as the day was approaching, I began to reflect on my experience here uh, for seven years. And I just remembered how welcoming this church was to me, uh, even the very first time I came. I remember the first invite I actually got to this fellowship. It was from Pastor Ross himself. And he said, oh yeah, we're the love shack. That's what they're calling us out there. (laughs) Once you go there, you'll never go back, baby. And that stuck with me. Obviously, I'm talking about it. It's been, I don't know how long now, 10 years, amazing. I remember the uh, first time I came, it was Calvary Chapel, Sebastopol at the time, at the community center there. The first bulletin that I received uh, from Jim Smith and Phil Jones, as I walked in the door, they shook my hand, they were smiling really big, just like what Pastor Ross was saying, so warm, so friendly coming in, the hospitality team, all the goodies out, the music, I just fell in love with the place, with the people, and just felt like this church, this is gonna be my home church, and it was for the next seven years. I remember when uh, the pastoral team hired me uh, to take care of the flock in the bathroom, to take care the urinals and stuff like that. Sorry, sorry, I should have said that. They hired me to be the janitor. And I just considered it one of the greatest privileges uh, to be responsible with uh, keeping up the house of the Lord and making sure it was company ready. And then the church, you guys, how you've all inspired me. Pastor Adam, you know, taking me under his wing and, and teaching me how to be a pastor. Pastor Ross, I mean, the ultimate role model in my mind, below Jesus, of course. Uh, <laughs> Just watching him faithfully serve the Lord day in and day out, love his wife, love his kids, study the scripture, preach the word, minister to the saints. I thought that's that's exactly who I wanna become as I grow in the Lord. And then just over and over again throughout the years here at the fellowship, you guys coming up to me, encouraging me as a pastor, even people saying, I I see you someday, planning a church, and what do you know? It actually happened. You guys remember in 2016, our prayer, our prayer was, Lord, do you will it for Willits? Do you want us to go up to Willits and start a new fellowship? And he did, and he's doing great things. We have some pictures for you 
They're not very good quality because I stole them off of Facebook this morning at like 5 a.m. So this is our current building. We started in 2016. There was about 20 of us. Uh, We rented a room from the Grange Hall, a classroom, and all of our kids met in the kitchen storage closet room. Uh, So it was humble beginnings. From there, we went to the community center where it was a nice sanctuary, but our kids were once again stuck out in the lobby. They had curtains and PVC pipes to divide the different age groups. It was terrible for them. I felt so bad for the kids' ministry workers, uh, but they survived. From there, we moved to a physical therapy office and we turned it into a spiritual therapy office. It was awesome. We had some windows in the sanctuary that overlooked the arched Willet sign. It was great. But uh, we grew out of that building and we had a relationship with the pastor of this church, which was the first Baptist church. And he was ready to close the doors. It was a smaller congregation and they were older and we had a good relationship. And so they decided we wanna pass this on to a new younger church that could make use of it. And so they donated the entire property to Calvary Chapel Willett. So that's our property, praise the Lord. It's getting a little tight right now. We started as 20 and we're probably over 100 people now in two years. So praise the Lord. Um, We have some pictures of some of our congregants. I just wanted you guys to see some faces. They're a little fuzzy, so forgive me. Okay, there's some of the gals at our church. Keep going. That's five seconds, Spencer, three seconds. I don't know who that crazy guy is in the background right there. How does this thing work? That's our, this is the pool. We do a lot of outreaches, so we encourage uh, individual evangelism, reach out to people in your sphere of influence, but we also, as a church, come together and do outreaches. So we rent out the city pool, we invite the whole community, and then we preach the gospel from the diving board. So that's what's going on there. (laughs) People are raising their hands to give their life to the Lord, and then a lot of them jumped in for Jesus. So it was pretty cool. There's some more pool party pictures. I'm gonna turn to this side now. There's Nick, you remember Pastor Nick and his amazing wife. I think she's here today somewhere. Janelle, where are you at? Okay, never mind. Next picture. There we go. That's my son with the crutches right there on the left. There's Janelle right there and my wife in the background. This is my favorite picture. That's Mark and JP. They just look so happy right there, right? There we go. That's the guy who's preaching at our fellowship today. That's John Ferguson and his wife. They have five kids. Keep going. There we go, keep going, keep going. That's Scott, there we go, some happy people, some more happy people, and there we are. That's our little fellowship, so praise the Lord. We went up to Willits because we wanted to bring what we have here somewhere where it doesn't exist, a warm, friendly, loving congregation that is passionate for the word of God and for reaching lost souls. And so this church wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you guys. And so I am just so grateful. I am just so grateful for all that you guys have done in my life and all that you guys have done uh, for the church up in Willits. Now, how I feel about this fellowship is probably how the apostle Paul felt about the church in the city of Corinth. He loved them. 
He, he loved them so much and he was grateful to God for them. He spent a year and a half of his life there in the city of Corinth. And it wasn't a perfect church. They, they did have a lot of problems, as you gals know who are studying through the book of 1 Corinthians right now. But in spite of that, God was still doing some pretty cool stuff. And so in today's text, in 1 Corinthians chapter one, uh, the apostle Paul is gonna zero in on three praiseworthy qualities that he sees in the lives of these Christians, and hopefully we'll see these things in our lives as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter one, if you have your Bible, bust it open to that. If not, it's up on the screen right behind me. And for today's teaching, we're gonna do verses four through nine, but before that, let's pray. Father, we do just wanna quiet our hearts before you. We know that you're here. Jesus, you're risen from the dead and you walk in the midst of the church and You have something you wanna say to each and every single one of us. And so I pray by the power of your spirit that you would give us the ability to pay attention and the desire to wanna apply it to our lives. And so as always, Father, I pray you would take my simple message and your Holy Spirit-inspired word and make a difference in our hearts and lives because it's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen? amen? All right. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here the apostle Paul is thanking God for everything these Christians were experiencing and enjoying by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, that word grace, it's one of the Apostle Paul's favorite vocabulary words. It actually comes up in the New Testament 155 times, and 71% of the time, or 110 times, it comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul. So he really loved this word grace, and I think I know why. It's because before he was a believer, he was a, a radical rabbi. He was a fanatical Pharisee who was trying to earn his way into heaven, grind out a spot in heaven by obeying all 613 Old Testament laws. So he was just trying to work his way into the kingdom of heaven. But you guys know the story. You know what happened because Pastor Ross takes you right through the word of God, Acts chapter nine. He's on his way to persecute some Christians and who shows up and knocks them down on the ground? None other than our risen savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna paraphrase, Jesus essentially said, Find out a spot in heaven, Paul? I don't think so. I'm going to give you a spot in heaven. I'm going to gift it to you. And that's really what the word grace means. It's the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Him just pouring out his kindness upon us just because he is kind, giving us a place in heaven and giving us 
a purpose down here on earth. Now notice he says that this grace is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. You won't find grace anywhere else. Any other religion under the sun, you won't find grace. You only find works. You've got to work your way into a good standing with God. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do, do, do. And as Greg Laurie says, that's just a bunch of doo-doo, right? <laughs> the Christian faith, it's not about what you do It's about what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is going to do in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul, he just loved talking about the grace of God. And here he's he's gonna highlight three ways God in his grace was changing the lives of these Christians there in the city of Corinth. And so the first thing he's gonna tell us for you note takers is because of Jesus, you're living enriched lives. You're living enriched lives. Verse number five, he says, in him you have been enriched in every way. That word enriched in the Greek is plutizo and it means to make wealthy. So every believer in Jesus Christ is a plutocrat in God's eyes. Not someone from the planet Pluto, but a wealthy one. You're a child of the king of kings, the ruler of the entire universe. Think about it for just a a second. Think about your eternal house in the heavens and how glorious it is. I mean, the roads are paved with transparent gold. The foundations of the wall that surround the new Jerusalem are decked out with precious gems. I mean, that's amazing. And we're told in the scripture that we wear crowns upon our head and we just throw them on the ground at the feet of Jesus like they're worthless. I mean, in God's eyes, we are wealthy. Now you might be sitting there thinking, wait a second, pal, I'm a wealthy person. I drive a 1997 beat up Saturn. I have one of the oldest iPhone models that is out. It doesn't even update anymore. And my portfolio, well, wait a second. I don't even have a portfolio. So I don't think so. I'm not a wealthy one. What are you talking about? Are you trying to pull a fast one on me? Well, here what the apostle Paul is talking about, he's not talking about material wealth. He's talking about spiritual riches, that you are spiritually rich in the eyes of Almighty God. You see, you can have everything that this world has to offer. You can be rich materially, and yet at the same time be broke spiritually. The the flip side of that is also true. You can be broke materially and rich spiritually. Uh, Jesus in Revelation chapter two, he's speaking to a church in Western Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, And he's talking to these Christians. They live in a very difficult city. It's hard to be a Christian there. There's persecution. And so if you're a believer, you can lose your job, you can lose your house, you can lose your possessions, you can lose your life. And he says, I know what you're going through. I know your persecution and I know your poverty, but you are rich, Jesus said to them. So they were broke as a joke in the eyes of the world, but in God's eyes, he says, you are are rich. Now, speaking to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter three, the opposite was true of them. They had everything that this world had to offer. They were driving around in their Tesla. You know, they had the iPhone X and, and all that kind of stuff, shopping at, at Louis Vuitton. They, think, they thought they had need of nothing. 
And so Jesus spoke to them. He says, hey, you, you think you have need of nothing, you're rich and, and you're just good to go, but don't you see in my eyes, in God's economy, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So you can be materially rich and yet spiritually broke, and you can be spiritually rich and materi- but materially broke. Now, material wealth, it, it does serve a purpose in our lives, right? We have to pay bills, we have to save up for our kids' colleges, and that's all good, but I think it's important for us to remember that material riches can be taken from us and they can't be taken with us. And so those things shouldn't be the focus of our life. Uh, A story that I read about was this uh, gentleman, he's very wealthy, he spent his entire life uh, working hard to to earn money, and he was very stingy with his money. He shared it with nobody, not even his own family. And one day, he sat his wife down and he said, baby, I want you to promise something to me. Anything, darling, what is it? What do you want? When I die. I want you to take all my money, all my hard-earned money, and I want you to put it in a shoebox, and I want you to bury it with me. Promise me right now. Okay, baby, whatever you say. And so the day came that he died, and at his funeral, you know, they're getting ready to close the casket, the pallbearers, and she's, hold on, hold on, hold on, and she gets up, and she has a shoebox. She walks over to the casket, She puts it down on his chest and they close the casket. They carry him away and they bury him. Now her best friend was sitting right next to her. She said, what are you doing? You didn't didn't really do it. You didn't keep the promise, did you? Well, of course I kept the promise. I'm a good Christian woman. And so when he died, I gathered together all of his money. I put it in my bank account and I wrote him a check and I buried it with him. (laughs) Isn't that a great story? That's a smart woman. That's a very smart woman. (laughs) Material riches, they do serve a purpose and they're, they're amoral, but spiritual riches, that's where it's at because they can't be taken from you ever and you can enjoy them both now and forevermore. Precious brothers and sisters in Christ, you have access to spiritual resources that non-believers don't have access to at all. Think about what you have access to. God has sort of opened the vault in heaven and said, come on in. He promises us the help of heaven. You can, you can have the help of almighty God anytime you need it. He says, I, I know I'm the sovereign king of the universe. I know that I have all power and and all authority and I'm super busy kind of running everything and I know that you're just one little person amongst seven billion people in the county of Sonoma. But I think about you all the time and I'm not too busy for you. And so if you need help at any time, and I know you do because we all need help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He says, come before my throne of grace and ask for help in your time of need. I'll move mountains for you. I'll part the sea for you. The fire won't burn you. I'll knock down giants for you. What do you need? That's a spiritual treasure to have the help of heaven the peace of God. What a treasure that is. What a treasure it is to have the peace 
of God. He says, do not be anxious about anything. You hear that and you're like, Lord, how can I not be anxious? These thoughts are coming into my mind. I'm getting worried all the time and you tell me just to, to not be anxious. How do I not be anxious? He says this, bring your requests to me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests to me and I will take away your anxiety. You're gonna take away my problems, Lord? No, I'm not gonna take away your problems. I'm going to take away your anxiety and I'm going to give you something to replace it. What are you gonna give me, Lord? I'm going to give you a peace that surpasses understanding. And so your circumstances might not change, but your outlook will. You'll know that everything is going to be okay even though everything doesn't look okay. Why? Because God has given you his peace to guard your heart and to guard your mind. People will ask you, how do you have such a peace? God's with me. And I know that he's gonna work it all out for good somehow, some way. Well, how is he gonna work it out? I have no idea. I just have a peace about it. That's precious. And that's priceless. You can't buy that with money. The world tries to buy peace. Peace, man, peace, man. <laughs> Serious. But it wears off doesn't it? God's peace, man, could be with us all the time. Just yesterday, my wife and I, we had been out of town, and uh, we flew into the airport here in, uh, in Santa Rosa, and uh, we got off the airplane, and we went to collect our luggage, and we were the first ones in line, and so I figured I'd get my bag off first, and all the bags kept coming out, and then eventually, uh, that carousel, it stopped moving, and my bag hadn't come out yet, and I was like, where's my bag? Where's my bag? And I started to panic because in that bag were my notes for today. <laughs> I had been preparing all week long. And so I started to, to kind of freak out on the inside. Okay, I was pulling my hair on the inside. I was maintaining my composure outwardly. We went over to the Alaskan Airlines counter and nobody was there. We're like, where are all the workers? And so we... we <laughs> You gotta understand, for a pastor to lose his notes, you start to freak out, you know? Because I'm thinking, it's already gonna be rough with the notes. How bad, Lord, is it gonna be without the notes, you know? And so I'm standing at the counter, nobody's coming out. We've, we track down a security guard. We're like, where are the workers? Okay, we got off of the plane. We need our luggage. This is a life and death situation. <laughs> Honestly, that's how it felt, okay? I exaggerate things a little bit, I know, but seriously. Oh, they're just getting the plane cleaned up. They'll be here in a few minutes. An hour later, no one's there. We're standing at the counter getting worse and worse, <laughs> getting, getting bad. So we get the security guard again. Oh, they're just having their lunch. They'll be out in just a few minutes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, take your time, why not? So they come out. Eventually, I prayed, okay. Eventually, I got there. Oh yeah, Lord. I need peace, Lord, because I'm panicking and I'm freaking out right now. The Lord gave me his peace and reminded me that he gave me the words to say in the first place when I was writing the message. And so it was gonna be all right. We didn't get the suitcase until 10 p.m. Uh, last night. And so what I have is what I did when I got home from uh, the airport. You know, so that peace, so precious, you can't buy that. Think about the comfort of God, a precious treasure. So many people in this world are going through hardship and they're going through it alone. But the Christian, we don't have to go through any 
keeping difficult alone. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse two says, the God of all comfort is with us and he will comfort us in all of our afflictions. He'll come down and he'll just give you a big, strong bear hug, just letting you know that he is with you and that he loves you and that he's gonna work it out for your good. That's a precious treasure. The world doesn't have access to that. Only Christians, only believers in Jesus Christ have access to the comfort of God. Think about the purpose that God has for your life. So many people, they don't know why they're here. They don't know how they got here. They don't know where they're going, but the scripture tells us as Christians that God has a purpose for us. Ephesians chapter two and verse 10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a purpose and a plan for your life, and that is priceless to know that someone outside of time with all power and all knowledge is guiding my every step. Just last week, Saturday night, I was reminded of how God has a purpose for everything I do. I went to the grocery store with my wife. I think it was Saturday evening. I think I was in my pajamas. I spent the whole day in sermon prep and church was the next morning. I was in the dairy section and I saw this married couple and I remembered their names. They had come to our church like six months before. And I was amazed that I remembered their names because there's people who have been coming to our church for a very long time that I forget their name all the time. But for some reason, I remembered their name. I'm all, hey, Will, hey, Ashley. And they looked as surprised as I was that I actually remembered their names. They looked up at me, they recognized me as the pastor, but they didn't remember my name. And that's all it was. It was a, a simple hello. And I left and my wife and I, we got in the car and we started talking about it. I was like, I can't believe I remember their name. That's amazing. I feel like God put that in my heart. And that little exchange, even though I didn't share the gospel or anything like that, that God has a purpose for it. I wouldn't be surprised to see them in church in the next few months. And she's like, yeah, probably. The next day, Sunday morning, they came to church and they were asking to get baptized. I mean, it blew my mind. They wanted to rededicate their lives. Isn't that credible? God has a purpose for us, and that's priceless. That's a treasure. There's people out there that don't have it, and, 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 and the most precious treasure to me that all Christians have is the presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of us. Colossians chapter one and verse 27 says, this is the riches of God's glory, Christ in you. Think about that. Jesus Christ lives inside of us by his Holy Spirit. And having him live inside of us, that is transformational. The, the Corinthians, they lived in a pretty wicked city. And yet Jesus was transforming them slowly but surely. Paul mentions it, their speech and their knowledge. In other words, the way they thought, the way they talked, the way that they were treating people, they were being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. There's a saying out there, it says, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. You see, we're not as we should be. You guys remember Genesis chapter one, we were made in the image of God. We thought like God, we, we, we talked like him, we, we would, Adam and Eve treated each other the way they were supposed to, but then in Genesis chapter three, something happened. 
sin entered into the world and that image of God in us was marred and so we no longer thought the way that we're supposed to think, talk the way we're supposed to talk or treat people the way that we're supposed to treat people. And so God set his plan in motion. He set his son Jesus down here to reverse the curse and when the spirit of God comes inside of us, he begins to change us and transform us. So once again, slowly but surely, we begin to think the way that we're supposed to think. We begin to talk the way we're supposed to talk. We begin to treat people the way that we're supposed to treat people. God is making us into the image of his son. We're recreated into the image of God. And Jesus, that's exactly who I wanna be like. I wanna be just like Jesus. Because I'll tell you what, there is no one, there is no one like Jesus. No one talked the way that Jesus talked. That's what people would say. No one, no one spoke like this. No one ever spoke like this man before. There, there's someone, something different about this guy. No one treated people the way that Jesus treated people. Think about him. Think about the way he treated people. Think about at the moment of adversity, the most difficult time of his life as he's hanging on a cross for six hours, suffering. People are mocking him, they're insulting him, they're making fun of him. You know, if, I, if that was me, if I was in Jesus' place, I, I would have flipped out on him. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The thief on the cross right next to Jesus. For six hours, he was insulting Jesus along with his partner, along with his buddy. And at the very last minute, right before he dies, he has a change of heart. He realizes that Jesus is the Lord, and he says, Lord, uh, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have said, really? <laughs> Seriously? A lifetime of sin and thievery and whatever else you did, and then six hours next to me? You're making fun of me this whole time? Forget it, you're not getting in, too late. <laughs> Honestly. But not the Lord not Jesus, because no one is like him. He said, today you shall be with me in paradise. That's who I want to be like. I wanna be just like Jesus. And that's what God was doing in the Corinthians. He was, he was changing them as they were cooperating, as they were submitting and surrendering their lives uh, to him. He was transforming them. And that's what he's doing in me, and that's what he's doing in you. And I know that I'm different. I've been a Christian since 2004, and you wanna know how I know I'm different? The movie store. When I was a brand new Christian in 2004, I was 22 years old, I would go in the movie store, I'd go straight to the rated R section, where all the bad stuff was, where all the good stuff was, you know, where all the cursing and the action and the murder and everything else that goes along with it. Well, I went in the movie store about a week or two ago. I couldn't find anything to watch. I hadn't been in the movie store since March, okay? That's a long time, that's like five months. So when I'm going there, I'm thinking, there's probably a ton of movies that I haven't seen that are gonna be fantastic. I should have no problem picking something out. But I go through, oh, that's got too much cursing in it. Oh, they're using the Lord's name in vain way too many times in there. Oh, there's a lot of murder in there. There's a lot of cussing. There's a lot of sex in there. And I walked out with nothing but a Hallmark movie for my wife and my daughter. <laughs> I know I'm different. The movie store tells me so, amen? And you can't buy that kind of transformation. You can't buy it. It's a gift. It's one of our spiritual riches, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. This is what we should get excited about, Christians. The spiritual riches that God has given to us. He's written us a check and he says, you gotta cash it, that's all you gotta do. 
I've just written you a check, just cash it. Take it down to the bank, cash it in. I've given you my ATM card with the pin code. Just go down to the ATM and withdraw all of your spiritual riches. So this church, because of Jesus and his grace, they were, they were living enriched lives. And secondly, they were living in anticipation. Verse number seven, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, you're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were anticipating the soon and imminent return of our Lord and Savior from heaven. And I think each and every Christian Every born again believer in him should be anticipating the imminent return of our savior. That word imminent, it just means it could happen at any time. Jesus could come back right now. He could come back in five minutes. He can come back in five hours, five days, five years, 500 years. He can come back at any time. There's nothing that's preventing him or stopping him from coming down. Now, Jesus is the one who told us that he was going to come back soon. In John chapter 14 and verse three, it's the last supper. They just finished their meal. Jesus told the guys that he was going away and they were all sad. He says, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going up to heaven to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna get you to take you to be with me where I am. And so Jesus is that the promise comes from him. It comes out of his, whole, his own mouth. Now the apostle Paul, he believed that he was going to be alive for the return of Jesus. He talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 through 17. He says, "Hey, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And afterwards, we, he included himself in that, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. And so the apostle Paul, he was anticipating the imminent return of Jesus, and all the churches that he planted and that he taught, he taught them that as well. Now, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us that there's a lot of people in this world and probably in your own life who scoff and mock about the truth of Jesus and his imminent return. Sure, Jesus is coming back. You guys have been talking about that for a long time. You guys have been talking about the return of Jesus for 2,000 years, but he hasn't come back and he probably never is going to come back. Well, if you scroll down a few more verses there in 2 Peter chapter three, down to verse number nine, we find out why there's been a delay. We find out why the Lord hasn't come back in 2,000 years, which in God's economy is only two days, by the, by the way, because a day with the Lord is as a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is as a day. The reason he's delayed his coming is because he's out there trying to save souls. He desires for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's why he hasn't returned yet, because he's reaching lost souls. I'm grateful that the Lord didn't come back before 2004 because I wasn't a Christian until March of 2004. I would have been lost. I wouldn't have gotten saved. Who knows what would have happened to me? I was living a terrible, sinful life. But Jesus, because of his long suffering 
And because of his patience, he waited for me and he saved me. And that's what he's up to right now. And that kind of gives us an idea as what we sh- about what we should be up to as Christians. Now, 1 John chapter three and verse three tells us that having this, this hope, living in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ, it has sort of a, a purifying effect on your life. It, it makes you wanna live a holy life. I mean, when you consider that the Lord could come back at any time, it makes you wanna be ready. It makes you wanna be waiting. You don't wanna be caught off guard. You wanna make him proud. You wanna bless him. You don't wanna embarrass yourself, right? There's so many Christians, sadly, I think it's gonna be a sad day for some, you know, where they could have been living for him with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, all of their strength, giving everything, their time, their talent, and their treasures to Jesus Christ. But instead, they say, I'll put that off for later on in life. I'm just gonna focus on me right now. You know, and by focusing on themselves, they get caught up in sin, pornography perhaps, and boom, Jesus comes back. Jesus still welcomes them into the kingdom, they're forgiven, they're righteous, they're gonna have an amazing time, but in that moment, how sad will that be? The Christian who's gossiping on the telephone about other Christians in the church, oh yeah, well she's terrible, I hate her too, blah, 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 boom, Jesus comes back, oh. (laughs) He still welcomes that person, they're forgiven, he loves them, they're going to heaven, but how sad in that moment, that person, they could have been living sold out for Jesus Christ, living in anticipation of his return. I wanna be found ready. I wanna be found waiting. I wanna be found like reading my Bible, reading a scripture that talks about the return of the Lord, praying to him, Lord, come soon, and then boom, he shows up. Or loving on my wife, washing my wife with the water of the word, encouraging her, building her up, loving on my kids, teaching them about Jesus Christ serving in the local church, praying for people, sharing the gospel. That's how I wanna be found when he comes back. When he shows up and I'm serving in that kind of way, I wanna hear him say, wow, Jim, it looks like you were expecting me. And I'll be like, yes, Lord, I was expecting you. You told me you were coming back, Jesus, and I believed you. And so I just got busy serving you. And I just imagine the Lord's holding up his hand like this to give me a high five and saying, well done good and faithful servants. Isn't that what you want? A high five from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be found faithful. Live in anticipation. Jesus promised he was coming back and he always keeps his promises. You know, the second to last verse in our Bible is Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. Jesus, it it comes right out of his mouth. He says, behold, I am coming soon. Second to last verse in the Bible. The last verse is come, Lord, come. That's the last verse, okay? But the second to last verse is Jesus. He's saying, I'm coming soon. And if he was coming soon 2,000 years ago, how much sooner is it today, right? Anytime. And so we say, come, Lord, come. So this church, they were living enriched lives because of the grace of Jesus. They were living in anticipation and because of Jesus and his grace, finally, they were living with confidence. They were living with confidence. Look with me at verse number eight. He says, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. Now this really is an amazing verse, especially writing it to the Corinthian Christians because they were far from perfect, a messy church, a ton of problems, a ton of sin. There was division in the church. They were fighting over who the best pastor was and they were putting down pastors from across town. There was sin going on. There was sexual immorality. Christians were taking other Christians to court before non-believers and suing them. There was disorder in a worship service. People were interrupting the pastor, blurting out in tongues, and there was even some confusion on what happens after you die. And so there were some serious problems. And yet here, he says, you guys, you Corinthians, with all your problems, you're still gonna be there, and you are going to be in glory. Now, this is good news for you and me because we're not perfect, are we? We're not a perfect church. We're not perfect people. We got all sorts of issues, all sorts of problems. And yet here he says, in spite of all of that, I'm gonna give you this precious promise, the assurance of salvation. Having, an assur- having assurance of salvation that helps you to live confidently. You know that God accepts you just as you are and you have a place in his eternal kingdom. You know where you're going. Your biggest problem and your biggest question mark has been answered. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's saying you're good to go. You are going to be there. God is never going to walk out on you. He's never gonna give up on you. He's never gonna quit on you. He's fully committed to you, even though you have so many flaws. You know, He's not shocked and surprised when we mess up. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I blew it all the time, every day, all day it seemed like. And I lived with such deep condemnation. And Pastor Ross, I'm looking forward to listening to next week's sermon where it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I lived with a deep condemnation because I did not understand that God accepts me, that he has forgiven me for all of that I have done. He, he, doesn't see, he doesn't say, you know, when you sin and when you fall short, okay, that's it. You've blown it. You know, I thought when I, when I put my spirit in your heart, you were gonna be different. I thought that, that you had potential. I thought you'd be a good fit for my kingdom, but here you've gone and sinned again. So you know what? I'm done with you. Peace out, sayonara, goodbye. No, he doesn't do that. Philippians chapter one and verse six says that he who started a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You might be a mess right now, but God has promised that when he's done with you, you are going to be a masterpiece. I just love that word, blameless. Just think about that, meditate on that. It blows my mind because I'm a sinner, and yet here he says that I'm going to be blameless. The word could also be translated guiltless, unimpeachable, unaccusable. This is jaw-dropping to me because I know I'm not. I know I'm not guiltless. I know I'm not blameless. You could pull uh, the public records, you look in the court system and you'll see my, my criminal history. I committed a lot of misdemeanors before I was a Christian. So I know that I'm not blameless and you know that you're not blameless. You may have never broken any law down here, but you've broken his law up there. You've looked down on other people, you've lied. And if you're gonna say that you haven't, we'll just call your mama up on the stage right now (laughs) or your spouse and they'll spill the beans for us. They'll tell the truth. 
No, this is incredible, we're blameless. And the reason that we're gonna be blameless in God's eyes when we stand before him is because of the passion and the promise of Jesus Christ. It's because of what Jesus did for us. He came down from heaven, took on a human body, lived a perfect life, and then died that substitutionary death for us. I'm the one who has sinned against God. I'm the one who's broken his law. I'm the one who deserves the wrath of God, but Jesus, because of the great love wherewith he loved us, said, I will take your place. And so, boom, he goes up on the cross, the perfect, innocent, spotless son of God. He's nailed to that cross because of his love. He allows all of God's wrath to be poured out on us. It's because of the passion of Jesus Christ that we can be declared blameless. You see, you need to understand that there's no double jeopardy with God. In other words, he doesn't judge the same sin twice. And when Jesus was hung up on that tree by those three nails, the scripture says there in 1 Peter that he bore all of our sins in his body on that tree. All of your sins, past, present, and future every single one of them. And so all those sins, they've already been judged. And so therefore God can declare you blameless. He can declare you guiltless in his sight. That's just absolutely amazing. John chapter five and verse 24, here's the promise of Jesus. Whoever believes in me shall not enter into judgment. Why? Because he was judged for us. Shall not enter into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, either Jesus is telling the truth or he's not. He's either telling the truth or he's lying. I'm gonna go with what the Apostle Paul has to say about Jesus, and that's that he is faithful, that we can trust him. One writer said, Jesus is the truth teller in a world of lies. We can trust him. He is faithful. We can believe what he says, and this is what he's told us. I have given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so we should be living enriched lives. He's told us that he's coming back soon. And so we should, live, we should be living in anticipation of that, living holy lives, waiting and beckoning the return of our Savior. And he has told us that we're gonna be there if we believe in him, we're gonna be in heaven. And so we should live with that confidence, knowing that we are accepted and loved by God, amen? amen. Father, we do wanna thank you for your word today here in 1 Corinthians chapter one. And my prayer is that your Holy Spirit, that he would help us to remember, to meditate, to think upon these things. We thank you, Lord that you have enriched our lives. Help us to not forget about this, but to take advantage of it, to look to you for help, to look to you for hope and for joy and for peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming back soon. Help us by your spirit to live in anticipation of your soon return. And we thank you, Jesus, for your promise that we're gonna be there with you in glory that we're gonna be in heaven because of what you have done. And so help us, Lord, to live confidently, to just accept that as the truth, to, to take you at your word. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen.
I don't know, when I hear the Word of God preached like that, my heart just gets set free. Oh, man, I would go to your church if it was just a little closer. <laughs> and if I didn't have, love this church that I go to now, wow, just so proud of you and so glad that you're able to come and bless us with that word. Praise the Lord. <laughs> man, alive. Who would have ever known from the church janitor? Man, alive. Listen, here's my takeaway how enriched we are and how distracted from that reality we all become. By the devil, by the demons out there, by the world, by our own sinful, insecure selves. We forget, distracted over here, distracted over here. Meanwhile, the gates of the treasuries of heaven open to us, the help of heaven waiting, willing, able, abundance supply. One quick analogy, one quick biking illustration, which I'm afraid you may have some in the future now. We're uh, coming through Malibu on the way down to Santa Monica. And if you're riding on the right, you see all of these mansions that you can't really see. You get glimpses because of the gates and they're just the driveways are jaw-dropping. And you can kind of see sometimes it's like, whoa, like fascinating just thinking about people get to live there. And you know, you're in your mind and God is uh, working and speaking while you're riding. And I was just kind of well, like envying and thinking, wow, I just can't believe this. And as I went into one driveway to do the little loop just to kind of look, you know, uh, the gates were closing right as I came in. And I could barely see, you know, looking through and I'm like, wow, shut. And the Holy Spirit says to me, my gates will never be shut to you. My gates will be open. My gates are open 24-7. Now you can ride that orange bike of yours right up to the door and you can come in. You don't even have to knock because I'm waiting, I'm there, the doors are open. So take advantage of that. What do you need? You need comfort, you need wisdom. How are you dealing with that troublemaker? You need help. You're gonna wait until the, the very, very end, like Jim had to do at the airport, until it gets really bad, then you're like, oh, I, it's so bad, I gotta pray about it. <laughs> That's what young preachers do. They put their notes in their suitcases. Older preachers, oh, they're on my physical body when I travel. They're in my bag, and my bag never leaves my side. But listen, take advantage of what you got in Christ, amen? amen. I do wanna say, if you're visiting, or if you're here and you don't know the Lord, and you don't have those riches, and you're not hooked up to the ATM because you haven't accepted the invitation, let me give you the pin code right now. Jesus is Lord. There it is. If you say that, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and he's alive, bing, you're in. The doors open up. Not about how you're behaving, not how you're thinking, not how you're living, but what he did for you. You've heard the gospel if you open your heart, even today, even in the closing prayer. It's all you have to say, yes, Lord, save me. That's not so hard. You can do it and do it. Amen? Amen? Now, Father, we commit 
both anybody who needs you, even in this moment, to pray the prayer, Lord, I need you, save me. And all of us who need to be reminded how enriched we are, that we should be called the children of God, co-heirs with Christ. May we enter into those riches through faith and access them, whatever we need, according to the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, all God's people said. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.